Would you turn in your Bibles with me to First Peter, First Peter chapter one, and continue standing, standing if you are able to. Read from the words of our God, First Peter chapter one. We'll begin in verse thirteen and read on down through the end of the chapter. First Peter chapter one, verse thirteen. God says to us in his word, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your living and abiding word. That points us to the good news. Of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Gospel that transforms us so that we would be right in our relationship with you, so that we would know you and that we would love you and that we would serve you. Father, help us to live holy and obedient lives to you. Lord God, I ask now that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Happiness and holiness. Have you ever thought about how there is a connection between the two? Between happiness and between holiness. Why does it seem like so many people today are unhappy? Well, it could be, and it likely it is, because they are living their lives in a way that is contrary to God's design. They are living unholy lives. They are living their lives enslaved to sin, and contrary to God's original design and His intention that He has revealed in His Word. Tony Marita, a pastor, put it this way, the reason there is so little happiness in the world is there is so little holiness in the world. Friends, are you unhappy? Well, ask yourself, is there some 
unconfessed sin in your life that you are keeping from the Lord, that, that's keeping you from walking in, in holiness? As we dive into our text this morning, we're going to see that, that Peter is calling us to live holy lives. And if you remember where we've been in First Peter, he, he showed us that what we are to do with the living hope that we have. We saw that last week in verse 13, right? It starts off with, therefore, calling to mind everything that Peter has been describing in the previous 12 verses. Calling to mind how God has chosen us to be his elect exiles. Calling to mind how God has blessed us with salvation. Calling to mind how God in his great mercy has given us a living hope because Jesus is alive. How we have a future inheritance that is kept by God in heaven. How we can have joy in the midst of trials and this joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And as we saw last week, that we are now called to prepare. To prepare for action. As we saw last week, we saw those uh, the first four sanctified actions that we were called to. How we are called to prepare our minds. How because of the living hope that we have through the grace of God that doesn't lead us to a life of inactivity, but to a life of Christ-exalting and God-glorifying action. And that begins with preparing our minds for action. It continues with this call to to be sober-minded. It means to not be drunk when it comes to your mind, to not be drunk when it comes to spiritual issues. When you're drunk, you're not alert. You can't think clearly. You can't see straight. But when you're sober-minded, you see clearly, and you're not dull, and you're not dumb to the things of God. We also saw that Peter called us, actually he commanded us, to set our hope fully on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we saw he didn't just say, set your hope on Jesus. He said, set your hope fully on Jesus. So instead of having a divided hope, Hope in Jesus plus this. Hope in Jesus plus finances. Hope in Jesus plus a relationship. Hope in Jesus plus a job. We are called and we are commanded as followers of Jesus to place our hope fully in him. And the fourth action we saw last week was we were called to be obedient. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's grace, is not a license to sin but a call to obedience. The grace of God is not cheap. It's costly. And we obey him as obedient children. In other words, when we place our faith in Christ, we've been adopted into God's family. And we should live in such a way as to not want to disappoint him. And so we we continue with with these other actions now that we're going to unpack in verses 15 and, and following. But I, I just want to say this before we go on. Before we act in a God-glorifying way, before we pursue holy living in these sanctified actions, these holy actions, you must know Christ yourself. Your faith must be in Him. You must be born again. Your faith must be in Jesus and and what he's done to save you before you can act in these ways. And to the kids here, I want to say to you, you're you're old enough to sin. So trust in Jesus to save you from your sins. 
Trusting in Jesus is not just for adults. It's not just for teenagers. It's not just for the elderly. But living and serving Jesus with your lives is for you as well. So trust in him. If you're old enough to sin, you're old enough to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you have trusted in him, then now you are called to these actions. This brings us to the next five actions. I said last week there was only eight, but as I was studying this week, there was a fifth. So I'm sorry if you didn't, if you if you think I'm not a person of my word. I apologize. There's nine here that I want us to look at. Five more continuing off of the four from last week. So these are the actions that we are called to. Holiness. We're called to fear the Lord. We're called to know that we have been ransomed. We're called to love one another. And we're called to abide in God's word. So this first action for today, this sanctified action of call to be holy. God has called us to holy living. Now, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind when you hear the word holy? Maybe for some of you, it's uh, possibly some rigid way of thinking, some rigid disciplines or, or a boring list of do nots. But what is holiness? Tom Schreiner put it this way, a New Testament professor at Southern Seminary. He said, to be holy is to separate oneself from what is evil. To be holy is to separate yourself from what is evil. And we see how Peter starts with this call to be holy here in verse 15. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct as he who called you. Now, who is the who here? It's God. As, as verse 16 builds on this idea, as, it, as he's quoting from the Old Testament, he says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. It's a quote from the Old Testament, a quote from the book of Leviticus, where God was teaching his people, the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. He was teaching them how to live holy lives how to be distinct from the world. And he's saying, because he is holy, they are called to holy living as well. God is holy, meaning that he is perfect. He's infinitely good. He's infinitely pure. There's no sin. There's no corruption in him, nor in anything that he does. And that's the basis. That's, that's the reason for our holiness. It's that God is holy. And because we are called to be his witnesses, that we are called to be his ambassadors on this earth, we are also called to be holy. And that's an important theme all throughout the book of First Peter, is this call to live holy lives, this call to live in the world, but we live distinctly from the ungodliness of the world. In chapter 2, verse 9, we see that God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And notice what Peter says here. He says, be holy in some of your conduct. No, no, no. In all of your conduct. Meaning that there is, there's no sphere of God's call here in which we are not called to be holy. In all of your conduct. There is no sphere outside of the call to holiness. We are called to be holy in all spheres of our life. We don't be holy just when we're at church. Not 
be holy just when we're talking to other Christians, but in all of our contexts, in our work, in recreation, in school, in our thoughts, in our speech, in our actions, in our relationships. Because when we sin, ultimately what we're saying is that, that, that God is not good enough. When we sin against the one true God and we pursue unholiness, we're saying he's not good enough. We're saying that the grace that we've received through salvation is not good enough. So friend, are you seeking to be holy? Are you seeking to be set apart in all of your conduct, in all of your speech? When your neighbors or your friends, they look at you, do they see you as different? You know, one way in which believers can be set apart today is to not be so angry, but to actually be kind and to be compassionate. Isn't that crazy? What a crazy idea. You mean, we're called to be kind, we're called to be compassionate, we're called to be caring? Friends, think about how many Christians are ruining their witness in this world by continually being jerks. It's so foolish. Now, let me let me tell you, uh, let me let you in on a secret. Nobody has ever come to Christ because you were mean to them, because you owned them on social media or, or because you told them like it was or you told them off in person or in social media. Nobody has ever come to Christ, though. If you're always mad and always talking down to others, why would anybody find the Christ you claim to know? Why would they find that compelling? You see, the beauty of the gospel is that we've been given better than we deserve. So that, that whatever happens in life, whether it's politics or sports, weather or life, we don't, we don't lose our hope. And we don't lose our witness as, as holy, uh, as, as those who are set apart from the world. So brothers and sisters, seek to live for God's glory. Honor Him. Don't live for Man's empty praise, as we just sang about. So ask yourself, how are you living out of step with God's call to holiness here? What, what areas of your life are you living out of step with God's character? Examine yourself and see those areas in which you're out of step with Him and repent. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask Him to continue to fill you with His Spirit, to fight against the temptation to sin and to not live out of step with the gospel. And friends, use your identity, use your identity as God's obedient children as a way in which to fight against sin. When, when you're tempted to sin, to give in to temptation, remember who you are. Remember, you are a child of God the Father. Remember that, that you are called to be holy. We're not called to be perfect. We can't be perfect. But we are called to pursue holiness. When was the last time you asked forgiveness from the Lord? You see, the call to be holy doesn't mean that you're perfect and sinless. So when was the last time you repented of your sins and you asked God to forgive you? When was the last time you asked your spouse or your kids or another family member for forgiveness? Or are you already perfect? If you think that, then you don't understand your sin against the infinitely holy God. J.C. Ryle, a pastor in the United Kingdom in the 1800s, put it this way. He said, do nothing 
that you would not like God to see. Say nothing you would not like God to hear. Write nothing you would not like God to read. Go no place where you would not like God to find you. Read no book of which you would not like God to say, show it to me. Never spend your time in such a way that you would not like to have God say, what are you doing? So those who have set their hope fully on the grace of God seek to live holy lives. We seek to live out these sanctified actions. And and now moving to verse 17, this next action that we see is that we're called to fear the Lord. Part of the motivation for our holy living, for our sanctified actions, is our fear of the one true God. Look with me at verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So yes, God's holy character should motivate us to live holy lives, but Peter builds on this idea by calling us to fear the Lord. He he tells us that God judges impartially according to one's deeds. What does that mean? Well, that means that God doesn't show favorites. God doesn't let things slide simply because you're his child. As we discussed last week, the, the grace of God is not a license to sin. We can't say, well, I can get away with this sin because God's just going to forgive me. If that's your way of thinking, then you don't understand grace. You don't understand the gospel and the transforming power of Christ in you. Because the gospel isn't a license to sin. It's not a license to live however you want. Because a heart that's been transformed by the grace of God does not take sin lightly. Grace is not cheap. And Peter is saying that God judges impartially. He's, what he means is that he's simply saying that because you are adopted into his family doesn't mean that you're not held accountable for your actions. God won't just let your sins slide. We will have to give an account someday for our actions. And so the grace of God and, and God adopting us into his family does not does not mean that we continue to live in bondage to sin and take sin lightly. This past Wednesday night at, at, at our at our prayer meeting, we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus uses the graphic imagery of saying, look, if your, your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off, showing us how seriously we should take sin. And, and you know, we get to call on God as Father, as we see here. But last week, we, we saw that that, that we're to, to behave as obedient children, how we're not conformed to our sinful passions. And, and here we continue to see how God has adopted us as his own, where we get to call on him as father to help live sanctified and holy lives. J.I. Packer says this of adoption. He says, you sum up the whole of the New Testament if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So believer, what do you think 
about when you hear that you have been adopted as God's own child, that you get to call on him as father. And and, and notice as well that this also leads us, because God is our father, this leads us to a healthy fear, a a reverent fear. It's not a a paralyzing fear, but, but a healthy fear of the Lord. As Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so it's a helpful, it's a healthy, worshipful, reverential fear. There is a fear that's paralyzing, and there is a healthy fear. When I get on my horse and I ride my horse, there is a healthy fear that I have. Because I know this horse could throw me off at any minute. But there's also a paralyzing kind of fear. When when if I get on my horse and I'm just paralyzed and I'm constantly jumping at, at, at everything, uh, then it'll affect the horse as well. Be constantly jumping. And it's similar to the fear of, of the Lord. There's a this is a healthy fear. Understanding and knowing that that we don't deserve his grace. We know that that God could have left us in our sin and he could judge us at any minute for our sins. But he did not. So that causes us to fear him, to, to worship him. So, so the fear of the Lord is, is that he knows all and he knows what's best for us. He sees all. So we should seek to live in such a way that pleases him. And so this now leads us to the next sanctified action. And that's a call to know. Know that you are redeemed. Know that you have been ransomed. When we place our faith in Jesus, it means that we've been ransomed. Or in other words, we've been delivered by Jesus' precious blood. Look at me at verses 18 through 21. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So through the perfect life of Jesus. We have been delivered. We've been delivered by his precious blood. Through the perfect life of Christ, he was able to be our perfect sacrifice, the lamb without spot or blemish. And because Jesus alone was without sin, we are able to be ransomed by his blood. And so Peter is using here this Old Testament imagery here of sacrifice and blood to describe the way, to describe what Jesus did on the cross, how he laid down his life by taking the punishment for our sins that we deserve. And so Peter is saying, know this, remember this, know that Jesus went through the suffering of the cross. He took the wrath of God for your sin upon himself so that you would no longer live in sin. So that you would no longer be enslaved to the vanity, to the emptiness, and to the futility of sin. And so friends, when you are tempted to sin, when you're tempted to live unholy lives, remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of what Jesus went through so that you would no longer live in bondage to sin. And be reminded, as Peter writes here in verse verse 20 and 21, that our hope and our faith are in God. 
not the things of this world, not the pleasures of the flesh, but our faith and our hope are in God. One other thing I want us to see in verse 18. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from what? The futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Here, what we see is that Christ's sacrifice breaks the power of what some call generational sin, which is the idea of the sins of parents and grandparents, how they're often repeated in children or grandchildren. So know this, believer. Just because your father was an alcoholic, through the transforming power of the gospel, you do not have to live that way. Yes, you may be more prone to certain behaviors or to certain tendencies, but the power of the gospel transforms us so that does not have to be the case, so that we do not have to continue to give in to sin. And, and many of, of Peter's uh, uh, readers, they, they were first-generation Christians, meaning they likely came from families that did not serve Jesus. Their families had served idols. They were caught up in all kinds of idolatry. But Peter is saying here, you have been delivered from that empty and vain life. And, and Jesus has delivered us through his blood, through something that's more valuable than gold or silver. Think about it. Silver and gold. Something that's greatly valued in the world. But in the end, silver and gold are just worthless. They perish. Or as we see at the end in Revelation 21, it describes the streets of the New Jerusalem as being streets of what? Streets of, of gold. Showing us that, that one of the most precious metals in the entire world is no more valuable than asphalt in eternity. That's how precious Jesus' blood is. So, friend, know that you are redeemed. Know who you are. Know that you are a child of the one true and holy God. Know that you have been ransomed know, from a life of bondage to sin so that your hope and your faith are in God. So you don't have to continue to live in the vain pursuit of sin, but to live in a holy pursuit of Christ. Peter doesn't just leave us there. He keeps on going with this next action. We are called to love God one another look with me at verse 22 having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love love one another from a pure heart since you have not been born of perishable so since you have been born again not a perishable seed but if imperishable through the living and abiding word of god so in other words he's saying because you have been ransomed notice what our what our conversion does it causes us to do what towards one another? Causes us to love one another. Or as Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So what's a distinguishing mark for a follower of Jesus? For somebody who's been ransomed from sin and death, they love each other. Our conversion changes us so that we have a genuine love for each other. And, and, and so, so what, 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 is, what is love? Well, it's more than just not hurting someone 
anymore, no more. How do we define love? Much of our culture defines love as fulfillment. Uh, you complete me. You meet my desires, so I love you. And that's centered on who? It's centered on yourself, right? But for the believer and from what we what we see in Scripture, we see that love is actually other-centered. With Jesus being the greatest example of love, dying on the cross and laying down his life for us, for undeserving sinners. And so this love of Jesus should transform us to love one another. Now, I'm not saying that, that unbelievers in the world, they don't know what genuine love is. And to be honest, many in the Western church need this reminder that we are called to love each other and not slander each other. So friends, how can you love one another this week? What's something that you can do this week to demonstrate your love for another believer? Maybe call them and pray for them. Send them an email that you're praying for them. Write them a card. See if somebody needs help. Invite someone over for dinner or take them out to lunch after service today. Is there someone the Lord is bringing to your mind right now whom you can encourage and love this week? You will never, ever regret being too encouraging. You will never regret loving one another. So how can you serve another and love another believer this week? But also think about how can you serve someone this week who doesn't know Jesus? This leads us now to our final sanctified action. For we are called to abide in God's word. Look at me at verse 24. For all flesh is like grass. Actually, hang up. Let's scoot up uh, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Believers, you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. We're, we are not called to rely on the flesh, but to have God's living word abiding in us. And this word brings life. It's meant to abide in us as opposed to the flesh that brings death and leads to folly. This word of God brings life. So is God's word living and abiding in you? Are you abiding in God's word? How can you further commit yourself to relying on and, and, and on God's word and living and abiding in his word? And this salvation that the gospel brings to us that's available through the living and abiding word of God remains forever. But for those who who rely on the flesh and those who continue to live enslaved to their sinful desires, heed these words from Isaiah 40, verse 6 that Peter quotes here. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, but the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. So just like the weeds come up every single year up here and we have to mow three different times or weed whack six different times, just like they come up and they're beautiful in, in spring and they're green, they die out quickly in summer. So is the life that is lived for the flesh. It comes and it goes. 
but the one who is born again, the one who's trusted in Christ, who's born again through the living hope of Jesus, the one who's been ransomed, the one who's been purified, who's obedient to God the Father, you will live forever. And so, friends, these are the actions that we see that we are called to. Therefore, in light of all that God has done for us in Christ, we are called to prepare our minds for action. We are called to be sober-minded. We're called to set our hope fully on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to live obediently as children. We are called to be holy as God is holy. We're called to fear the Lord. We're called to know that we have been ransomed. We're called to love one another, and we're called to abide in God's word. So these are the actions that God has called us to together. So let's seek to live holy lives through these sanctified actions. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now. And Lord God, we cannot earn your favor. We cannot earn your salvation. We cannot earn your grace because of our sin against you. And so, Lord, I I pray that if there are any here this morning who do not know Jesus, who have not trusted in him as their Lord and Savior, who haven't turned from their sins and trusted in him, they would do so at this very moment. They would see the beauty of the gospel that, that, that you didn't leave us in sin, but that you have ransomed us from our sinful flesh, from the punishment that is going to come because of our sins through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, for the believers here today, may our hope fully be set on the Lord Jesus Christ as we seek to live holy and obedient lives, as we seek to love one another. Lord, we need your strength to do this because we cannot do it on our own. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.